Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad that you're here today on the third Sunday of Advent. Before we begin our time of worship, I invite you to enter into worship with me. Our call to worship comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, the king of Judah, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, "Mm, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads together as we seek the Lord in prayer. Father, it is our desire that your name would be magnified in our presence today. It is our desire that your Son would be exalted in our assembly today. It's our desire that we would be yielded to your Holy Spirit today. We pray that you would grant these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love Thee and worthily magnify Thy holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Take your hymnals this morning. Open to number 270, Joy to the World. If you're able and willing, stand together with me as we sing number 270. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their sons employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of His love. Thank you. You may be seated. We turn now in the Scriptures to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth, the wife of Zacharias, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Take your hymnals once again. Number 271. You may remain seated as we sing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore You. 271. Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of light. Angels lifting praise before you sing throughout this holy night. In a manger lies a baby, child of Mary, son of God. Voices joined in joyful chorus, praise you for your gift of love. All your works declare your glory, all creation joins to sing. Praise resounds as earth rejoices in the birth of Christ the King. Shepherds kneel before the infant, trumpets sound and anthems raise. As with joy our hearts are lifted, joined in wonder, love, and praise. Part of being the people of God involves confession. If you think about it, confession is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That was the earliest confession or creed that the Christians held to. Jesus himself is Lord, the God of the Old Testament revealed in flesh. We confess it. We also confess our unworthiness. We confess our need for a Savior. That's what the name Jesus means. It means Savior. We confess He is Lord. We confess He is Savior. Why do we need a Savior? Because we're sinners. We're sinners who are saved by the grace of God, not by our own merits, not by our own works. None of us have anything of which we can boast of before God. It's by God's grace that we are brought into a right relationship with him. I want to direct us now to the scriptures once again. Psalm 25, verses 1 through 11, 16 through 18, and verse 20. A psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, Let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart 
have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Sounds like a man who was confessing, confessing his sin, confessing his need for a Savior, and confessing his unwavering trust in that Savior. And that's what I'm inviting all of us to do together at this moment as we seek the Lord in prayer. As I read this prayer of confession, I pray that you'll meditate upon the words. And then I'll give a few moments of silence for you to direct your own personal, private prayers to the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. There's no health in us. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Hear the good news. This statement is completely reliable and should be universally accepted. Christ Jesus entered the world to rescue sinners like you and me. He personally bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might be dead to sin and be alive to all that is good. Tell me, who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. If a man or woman is in Christ, they've become a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. Therefore, I encourage you, believe the good news and be at peace with God. Amen. Take your hymnals one last time, number 273. You may remain seated yet again. 273, God rest you, Mary, gentlemen. We'll sing the first and the second before you have to get on down the road. Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give ye heed to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ is born today. Ox and ass before him bow, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye hear of endless bliss, joy, joy, Jesus Christ was born for this. He hath opened heaven's door, and man is blessed forevermore. Christ was born for this, Christ was born for this. Amen. Thank you. Joy, joy, Jesus Christ was born for this. And yet we sing that song, Man of Sorrows, what a name. What a name for the Son of God who came to reclaim sinners like you and me. But joy, joy, Jesus Christ was born for this. And that leads us to our third candle of Advent today. Oh, I had to light them this morning without my little candle lighters to help me. But the first candle, if you remember, was the candle of hope. God's promises give us hope. Last week, we lit the candle of preparation 
as we prepare our hearts to seek the Lord and to hope in his promises, this week our third candle is the candle of joy. The candle of joy. Jesus Christ was born for this, for joy. We'll talk about it a little bit more later in the message, Lord willing. But Jesus spoke to his apostles. He spoke to them that last night before he was arrested, illegally tried, and ultimately crucified. He spoke to them and he told them that his desire was that his joy would be within them and that their joy would be full. And yet there were many other things that he spoke of concerning what awaited them that we do not normally link up with the concept of joy. We'll see in the scriptures later, but he spoke of a time of trouble for his apostles. He spoke of persecution. He said, they'll throw you out of the synagogues. They'll abuse you. They'll beat you. Some of you, they'll crucify. Some of you, they'll stone. They will hunt you down. And they will think that they are doing a service to God by killing you. And yet he spoke of joy. So it seems to me that whatever we might think that joy is, it might not be exactly what we think it is. When Jesus talks about joy, when the Bible speaks about joy, it might involve something different than just happiness or good times but we're going to look at that a little bit later. Right now, I'll direct our attention once again to the scriptures. We continue in Luke's gospel, chapter 1. Picking up in verse 29. I'm sorry, that should read verse 39. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days, after the angel's announcement, and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now you have to understand, they've not been talking on the cell phone. They didn't instant message or private message or email or anything like that. Mary received the announcement from the angel Gabriel And Gabriel, as just a way of encouragement, said, here's a little bit of an inside scoop. Your relative Elizabeth is also with child. She's in her sixth month. Now, if you recall from our reading last week, Elizabeth, after she conceived, she hid herself for five months. She wasn't putting it out there on Facebook that she was going to have a baby. It It was news that nobody else knew. Mary hears this word from Gabriel. She arises. She goes to the hill country of Judea. She enters into the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you'll recall that when Gabriel made the announcement to Zacharias, that he was going to have a son. They were going to call his name John. The angel Gabriel had told him that this son was going to be a very special prophet of the Lord. He was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. From the time that he was still in the womb, he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do the work that God had given him to do. And here, this is written for us to understand. Here is evidence that those words are true. When Mary enters the house, she and Elizabeth, not having had any communication, the baby in Elizabeth's womb does a flip. It kicks and it leaps. And it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now look at the words that follow. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, is now speaking about things that there's no way she could have known. It was revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. Let's have a look at verse 42. Then Elizabeth spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
But why? Tell me, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Elizabeth knows. She didn't know before, but now she knows. As soon as Mary walks in, that babe in her womb leaps, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, knows something that there's no other way she could have known. She knows that Mary is carrying precious cargo as well. But the one that Mary is carrying is not merely a prophet of the Lord. He is indeed the very Son of God. Which is why Elizabeth says, How is it that I am granted this honor that the mother of my Lord should come visit me? God has revealed to her what he had earlier revealed to Mary through the angel Gabriel. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Here we see the importance of faith, don't we? If we backtrack a little bit, go back to verse 38. After Gabriel has made his announcement to Mary, look at Mary's faith. She says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. In other words, she's saying, here I am. I am at God's disposal. He may use me however he wishes. I am his. Let it be to me according to your word. These are faith-filled words. She says to Gabriel, everything that you've said, let it be. Let it be just like you've told me. What a contrast that is with the words of Zacharias when he received an announcement from Gabriel the angel, when he went into the temple to minister at the altar of incense, and the angel Gabriel standing there told him about this miraculous birth that was going to happen. You're going to have a son. He's going to be the prophet of the highest. You're going to call his name John. And what does Zacharias say? He says, how will I know? (laughs) It's not enough that I just spoke with an angel. How will I know? that these things are really going to happen. He's asking for a sign. Oh, this was, this was the big stumbling block for so many of the Jewish people of that generation. Uh, Paul referred to it when he said, Jews, they ask for a sign. Uh, Jesus pointed it out whenever he said, you know, a wicked and adulterous generation who's not faithful in their heart, They seek after a sign. And Jesus had told them, there's no sign going to be given to you except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For even as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, even so the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. You remember how it goes. Zacharias asked for a sign. How do I know? So skeptical, right? But look at Mary's response. She's not asking for a sign. She says, I believe the Lord. Whatever you've spoken to me, let it happen just as you've said. And then we see the acknowledgement of that faith in the words of Elizabeth down in verse 45, where she says, blessed is she who believed. Perhaps Elizabeth is thinking about her own husband who was dumb, unable to speak for nine months, right? He didn't speak until the day that his son was being named and they wanted to name him Zacharias and Elizabeth said, no, his name's going to be John. And they said, no one in your family's named John. Call him Zacharias after his dad. And Zacharias motions for something to write on and he writes down the words, his name is John. And all of a sudden he could speak and he prophesied and he spoke things concerning the future of this child and how he was going to serve the Lord. Elizabeth enjoyed nine wonderful months. And she remembers how that came about. Her husband had lacked the necessary faith to believe God's promises, to hope in his promises. God brought it to pass anyway, didn't he? Did God need Zacharias to have faith in order to do what God was going to do? No. 
Does God need you and me to have faith in order to do what he's going to do? No. But if we want to get in on the blessing, we need to have faith. We need to hear God's promises, hope in God's promises, hold on to God's promises. Mary did. Elizabeth acknowledges, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Let's look at Mary's words now, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. I like that phrase, magnifies the Lord. We could, we could call it declares the greatness of the Lord. Whenever we magnify the Lord, we are declaring his greatness. We're declaring it to ourselves. We're declaring it to those around us. We're declaring it to believers. We're declaring it to unbelievers. We're magnifying, declaring the greatness of the Lord. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced. Hold on to that word there. Has rejoiced. In God, my Savior. We just lit the candle at the beginning of the service, the candle of joy. Mary's talking about joy here. She says, My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Truly, Mary was blessed of the Lord, was she not? What an honor that she received from the hand of the Lord, to be the mother of our Lord. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. What is joy? We typically equate the word joy with happiness, gladness. There may be elements of those that are mixed in and included in this word joy, but joy is something much deeper, something much bigger something much more permanent than happiness or gladness. Joy, what is it? Where does it come from? I submit to you that joy is found in being loved by God. Being loved by God, knowing that you're loved by God, loving God in return, and loving those who share that love. That's where we find joy. Joy is found, if we can sum it up in a word, it's found in relationship. When Jesus was asked by a student of the scriptures who asked him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of all? Now, if you go through the Old Testament, you can find something like 630 odd commandments. Which is the greatest commandment of all? Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. In other words, every thou shalt and thou shalt not that you can find in the scriptures hang on those two pegs love the Lord your God with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor how as yourself in the same way that you love yourself love your neighbor that way too it's in the keeping of these commandments 
It's in the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts through his son, that we experience joy. And the remarkable thing about joy is that it supersedes circumstances. Happiness and gladness don't. Happiness and gladness are emotions that are based upon circumstances. If we're in good circumstances, we feel happy. We're glad. Joy goes beyond circumstances. It surpasses and supersedes. Joy is the thing that allows two prisoners named Paul and Silas, who have been illegally thrown into a Philippian jail after having been beaten with many stripes across their backs with their wrists and ankles in shackles on a cold stone floor. Joy is the thing that allows two such wretched individuals to sing hymns to God at midnight. Joy is the thing that allows the soul to sing when circumstances don't support that action. Do you follow me? Let's take a look at some of the words of Jesus. Let's turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, this is the night that Jesus spent that last supper with his disciples, with his apostles, before his illegal arrest and trial. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 12, Jesus speaking to the apostles, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus is talking about this love relationship. He says, I want you to be part of it. I'm in a love relationship with my Father. I want you to be part of that relationship with us. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you see the connection there between joy and this love relationship? The love relationship that the Father has with the Son, that the Son has with the Father, and that they wish for us to be included in. Abide in my love. How, Lord, how am I to abide in your love? Keep my commandment. What's your commandment, Lord? Love one another. If you do this, I'm telling you all of this, Jesus says, so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. It's in this love relationship. The Father, the Son, the Son, the Father, the people of God. This is where joy is found. Let's continue. John 16, verse 2. Jesus has more words to say to the apostles. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. They'll throw you out. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. Hold on, Jesus. I thought you were just talking about joy. You wanted us to be joyful, to have your joy in us. You wanted our joy to be full. I thought we were going to sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya. But now you're talking about bad things. You're talking about being thrown out of the synagogues. You're talking about uh, persecution. You say that there's going to come a time where whoever kills us as apostles will think that they're doing a good deed for God? How does that line up with joy, Jesus? Let's explore just a little bit more what Jesus was talking about there in John 16 verse 2. I'm turning now to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 and verse 12. Jesus speaking again to the apostles, he says, but before all these things they will lay their hands on you, not in a good way, and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. 
Again, he's talking about this, this theme of persecution for his apostles. Uh, turning now to Matthew chapter 23, uh, there's a passage in Mark we could look at as well. All of the gospel writers talked about this persecution that was going to come to the apostles, but we'll skip over Mark's account because it's very parallel to the account in Matthew and Luke. So Matthew chapter 23, verse 34. Again, Jesus speaking to, well, this time Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones who are going to persecute the apostles. And he says, therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Here he's speaking about the apostles. The prophets are called prophets, wise men, scribes. I'm going to send these to you. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge, that is, with a whip in your synagogues, and persecute from city to city. This is what Jesus is promising to his apostles. That does not sound like a good deal, does it? Who would want to sign up for that? Come join our team. I promise you, you'll be whipped, you'll be hunted down, you'll be nailed to crosses, you'll be killed for my name. Who wouldn't want to join that, right? That's what Jesus is promising the apostles. And yet, in John 15, he's talking about, I want to give you joy. I want my joy to be in your hearts. I want your joy to be full. I want you to be part of the love relationship that I have with my Father. I want you to be in on the family love. It seems to me, if we're going to find a way to link these two things, it must be that our understanding of what it means to be joyful isn't exactly what we thought it was. It's not merely being glad or happy based upon circumstances. It's something much deeper. It goes much further. Joy comes from being in this love relationship with God. It's the type of relationship where God speaks and promises and we believe in faith and we hope and we trust in his promises. You remember from a couple weeks ago what hope is in the Bible? Hope is not like we typically think of it like, oh boy, I wish, I hope. No, hope is God has said it, I believe it, I'm looking forward to it. That's what hope is in the scriptures. That's part of the love relationship. God speaks it, we believe it. We respond to him in faith, we experience his love, and out of that love relationship, we find a deep well of joy. I think this is partly what Jesus was speaking of when he spoke to that woman at the well there in Samaria. And he spoke about living water, running water. And she had come to the well in the heat of the day to draw water. And he said, if you knew who it was that you were talking to, you would ask me for living water. I would give you water that never runs out. A well of water springing up into eternal life. It's the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord that gives us our strength in the midst of difficult circumstances of life. Like those apostles, Paul and Silas that I referenced, chained in a dungeon in a Philippian jail. And at midnight, they were singing hymns of praise to God. How can you do that if you don't have joy? Happiness and gladness are passing emotions. They shift like the sands or like the waves of the sea. That comes and goes. Joy is a lasting thing because it's not based upon emotion. It's based upon the reality of a relationship with God, a relationship that's based on love. Let's continue in the scriptures now. Matthew chapter 1. This will be the final passage we read together today. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. There's one more person who's going to receive an announcement in our story today. 
Last week, we saw the announcement that was made to Zacharias. And today, we saw the announcement made to Mary. Now we're going to see the announcement made to Joseph. Next week, we'll look at an announcement that was made to some shepherds. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. It might be worth mentioning right now, perhaps if you don't know anything about the customs of Jewish engagements and Jewish marriages of that first century, this is the way that it worked. A young maiden would be betrothed to a man. It would be what we call being engaged, promised to be married. From that moment on, they were considered to be husband and wife, but they didn't live together. There would be a period of time, and it would vary. Maybe in some relationships it would be a period of several months. Perhaps it would be a year or more. During this time, they would not live together, but the husband, the the groom-to-be, he would go and prepare a place. He would get a house ready. In many instances, if his father was a landowner and had a house of his own, what this groom-to-be would do is he would build his house onto the father's house as an addition. They would have their own separate dwelling place, but it would be part of the father's house. Uh, Matter of fact, if there were lots of children in the family, the way they would do it is they would keep building onto the houses so it almost made like a big square or a big circle, and in the middle would be an open courtyard where all the families of the father's house would be able to come together and do things in the courtyard. But everyone would have their own dwelling place. Maybe some of you are already thinking to John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. In my Father's house are many, well, our English Bibles say mansions, but the word really means dwelling places. There are many lodgings, many dwelling places at my Father's house. I'm going to go get it ready for you. Jesus was talking about a marriage. He was talking about, I'm betrothed to you, my people. I'm going to go get it ready. I'll come back. I'll get you. I'll bring you to my father's house. That's the way Jewish marriages worked. During this time of betrothment, though they were considered husband and wife, they did not come together. They did not live together. And the husband-to-be would go prepare a place. He would make sure that he was engaged in in a trade that could support a new family. He would prepare a house where he could bring his bride to when the time had come. And and there there wasn't an exact date set. The bride would have to be ready. She, She would know the basic season when he would come, but she wouldn't know the day or the hour when he would come. He might come during the day. He might come at night. And there would be a shout, a shout of the bridegroom, and, and the, the people would raise a celebration. The bridegroom's coming. And he would come to her house where she lived with her parents. And he would take her to be his bride, take her back to his house, back to his father's house. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of, of what Jesus has done for us. But anyway, maybe I'd get off track a little bit. That is the point in time that Joseph and Mary find themselves. They are betrothed. Joseph is no doubt working at a trade. We, we know he was a carpenter by trade. Working at a trade, trying to secure a livelihood, trying to prepare a home where he can bring his future wife. They are considered husband and wife. If either one of them is unfaithful during this time, it is adultery. And the only way to end the relationship is by a divorce. You know, in our culture, we break engagements off or we hear of that being done from time to time. No divorce papers are necessary. It wasn't so in their culture. A betrothment was binding. Uh, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He was going to end the marriage. But he wasn't going to make a big smear campaign out of it. He wasn't going to put it in the newspaper. 
He wasn't going to, to nail it to the, the sign in the middle of town. Uh, he wasn't even going to talk about it. He was a just man. We can see from this action here, he was a kind-hearted man. He was a merciful man. He had every right thinking that Mary had been unfaithful and had committed adultery and had broken the faithfulness of the relationship. He had every right, every legal right, to end the marriage and to do it publicly in a very nasty way. He was a just man. He was a merciful man. And he made up his mind. He was going to do this whole thing quietly. He was going to quietly end it, quietly walk away. If people ask questions, he wasn't going to talk. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about Mary's faith a few minutes ago. How much faith did Joseph have to have? Joseph has not even been blessed with an angelic visitation where the angel walks into the house and stands there in front of them. This happens in a dream. The angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph in a dream, and he believes. Don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son. And you, Joseph, because it's your responsibility as the husband, you shall call his name Jesus. It means Savior. The Lord saves. For he will save his people from their sins. That name Jesus was a very, very common name in first century Israel. I mean, if you would have thrown a stone in the air, chances are it would have hit a Jesus on the head somewhere because that was a common name. It was like Jim, John, or Bob in our culture, or Joe. <laughs> there were lots of Jesuses. Isn't it strange that God gave his son such a common, ordinary name? And yet, there was nothing common about it. The Lord saves. Jesus was the only one who could properly bear that name because he is the Lord and he is the one who saves. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that because of Jesus' obedience to the Father's will, because he emptied himself of all divine rights and prerogatives and he came as a man in human flesh and he endured the suffering and shame of the cross to pay for our sins, risen from the grave, he has been given the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. And one day, all will confess that he is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord this will be to the glory of God the Father. This will magnify the Father that we ascribe this glory and this lordship to Jesus Christ. He will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be, fulfilled, might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. What a beautiful name or title for the Lord Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Because truly it was in Jesus Christ that the glory of the unseen God dwelt in bodily form, lived among us. When John talks about it in his gospel, John chapter 1, he says that he tabernacled with us. A tabernacle was a tent. John was saying that the everlasting almighty God took upon himself flesh and pitched his tent with us. Have you ever been camping before? That's, a, that's an adventure. That's an experience, isn't it? Especially if you camp with a bunch of other people. But a neat thing happens when you camp, even with people that you don't know in a campground. Oftentimes there's sort of a, a community kind of thing that happens because you're all in this together. And that's what Jesus did. He came down and he got into this with us. He pitched his tent with us. 
Emmanuel, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Not just faith to believe, but obedience to act. He didn't delay. Davy Crockett, that American frontiersman and and United States representative from the state of Tennessee, he said that his life's motto was, figure out what's right and then do it. It's a good motto. Joseph heard from the Lord what he was to do, and he did it. He didn't hesitate. How many of us have hesitated? How many of us have wavered or delayed, procrastinated, put it off? Joseph didn't. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. He believed the word of the Lord, and he did as the Lord had said. He took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Today we've read the accounts of a couple individuals who displayed great faith in God, great faith in his promises. They hoped in his word. They obeyed. I submit to you that it's in these actions we find true joy. Jesus wasn't wasting his breath when he said that he wanted his joy to be in us and he wanted our joy to be full. It's something that goes beyond circumstances. It surpasses and supersedes circumstances. It's a deep root from which we can draw living water to feed our souls. It's a relationship of love with God the Father, God the Son. We do this together in the Holy Spirit. Joy. Think about joy this week in this Christmas season. I pray that your joy, that our joy, may be full in this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of joy. We thank you that it is something that goes much deeper than our circumstances. We thank you for the relationship that you offer to all through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you might find us to be not only faithful, but also obedient, that having heard your word, we may hope in it, we may believe it, we may do it, responding to you in faith, hope, and love. And out of the very interesting and mystical connection between these three gifts of your spirit, we may find eternal and lasting joy. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. I invite you to sing this closing chorus printed at the bottom of the page. Glory be to the Father. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. How was it in the beginning? Perfect love. Perfect relationship amongst the members of the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfect love, perfect relationship. Christ came for joy to restore that relationship that our oldest grandparents once shared and lost. But now it's back. World without end. That word world is maybe better translated age. Age without end. You are in the eternal age. It has no end. There's no finale or, or finish line to the age we're in. We're in this age of perfect relationship, perfect love, perfect joy found in the relationship with the triune God. Live in it. Hope in it. Trust in it. Believe it. Amen.
Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.